You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. We've been talking about re-gifting. And uh, re-gifting is when you get a gift and it has value and meaning, just not for you, right? And so you take that gift and you give it to someone else, and that's called re-gifting. And so if you're a person who gets a gift and, and, and uh, it, you don't need that or you don't want it and you don't want to go through the hassle of returning it, getting a store credit and using, you know, all that, then you can take something like that and you can give it to someone else. But I found out that as I was doing prep for this series that there is actually rules for re-gifting. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but there are rules. And I thought it might not be a bad thing to just do a little public service announcement with you to help you as we're talking about re-gifting, okay? So, the first rule is the gift should make sense. In other words, if you have a sibling who's allergic to pollen and grass and all kinds of weeds, and they live in a high-rise apartment downtown, don't give them garden shears, okay? It doesn't make sense. They're not ever going to use it, and it doesn't fit. Regift it to someone who likes gardening, all right? Second thing, you got to put a different tag on the bag, okay? Don't just cross out the name, you know, use calligraphy to cross it out, and then write your own name. That's just tacky, all right? And people will hold it up to the light and see that it was given to you. They're going to see through it, all right? Number three, don't regift gifts from meaningful people. Now, I want you to think about this. Grandma can't get out as much as she used to, but she found a way to buy you that potted plant. So don't re-gift it. Just think about how big the smile is going to be on her face when she comes to your house and sees that plant on the front porch. It's probably a good thing to not let the plant die either, okay? So she goes, I think I recognize that pot with that stick in it, okay? Just, okay, thank you. Good, good to have the three of you here. Okay, and then don't re-gift meaningful gifts. Think about this. Now, this should go without saying, all right, but I'm going to say it anyway. If your mom gives you a set of china that has been handed down from the, in the family from generation to generation, and she gives that to you, don't re-gift that, all right? You may, not give, you may not be a person who does big dinner parties. You're not going to buy a china cabinet to display this. But don't re-gift the china unless you want your grandmother to come back from the grave and haunt you at dinner every night, okay? It's probably going to happen, all right? And then fifth, the final one, I can't wait for this to be over, re-gift sooner rather than later, okay? Regift sooner rather than later. What does that mean? Remember that styles change, versions get updated. The it gift this season won't be the it gift in a few years. No one wants your unopened VHS tape of flash dance. Okay? You with me? So if you're going to regift it, regift it sooner rather than later. So those are some pointers to help with regifting. I hope that uh, it encourages you and helps you not to make some tragic errors in regifting. All right. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along the text this morning, we're going to use Acts, the fourth chapter. You can open your phone or your tablet there. A couple of years ago, Liz Jensen was shopping in a Utah dress shop when she found the perfect wedding dress. And you ladies know, when you find that dress, it's a great moment in your life. Well, she went up to pay for the dress, and she was informed that someone else had already 
paid the bill, the $495 for the dress. Another woman who had been in the shop that day was trying on dresses at the same time. But instead of buying a dress for herself, she pointed out Liz Jensen. She didn't know her, but she pointed her out to the sales clerk and told the salesperson she wanted to buy Liz's dress for her. Liz Jensen said, I was just so incredibly touched. To have that person who can look inside themselves to do something nice for someone else. It's something I'll never forget, for sure. She said that she planned to share this story of generosity with the guests at her wedding and encourage them to do something kind for someone else. It is so powerful to be blessed by someone else's generosity. One of the most impactful gifts that you can re-gift is the gift of generosity. Now, we read about this kind of generosity in Acts, the fourth chapter. I want to start with verse 32 in Acts 4. It says, All the believers who were one in heart and mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Luke gives us a church status report in this verse. He gives us kind of a health of the church update. And in this, he, he spotlights three health facts about the church. These are, these are three very positive things about this new church that we read about in Jerusalem. The first of these health facts is that the church was unified. The church was unified. He says all the believers were one in heart and mind. One thing that the church in Jerusalem had initially was unity. Often what unites us together is the mission. And in verse 33, we read about this mission that they had. It says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were intentionally letting people know about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. That was their purpose. That was their mission. When everyone agrees on the purpose, they often pull together. When personally, my heart and my mind agree with the mission then I'm on board, and I'm willing to support the mission in order to see that it gets accomplished. This unity that the church had in Jerusalem included concern for the needs of others as well. Possessions were shared voluntarily, so that Luke says there were no needy persons among them. They were unified. That was the first health status update. The second thing that we see in these three health facts was that the church was unselfish. It was unselfish. Verse 32 says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Luke makes the point that the early church wasn't selfish when it came to their stuff, when it came to their possessions. They were willing to share everything that they had. Now at first, this sounds like a version of communism, but there's a huge difference here. Communism mandates that everyone surrender what they own for the greater good or the benefit of the state. But the church in Jerusalem wasn't mandating any contribution of possessions of the people. Instead, the believers were freely giving things as they were needed. So the church was unselfish. And then the third, the third fact, this health fact that we see in the status report about the early church was the church exhibited generosity. The church exhibited generosity. We read in verse 32, at the end of verse 32, they shared everything they had. And then at the end of verse 33, 
Luke picks up and goes a little bit further to explain this. He says, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. The early church was generous. But don't think that every believer sold all of his goods and gave the money to the church. Because that's not what happened. In fact, verse 34 indicates that from time to time that happened. From time to time, some of the members sold property and donated the proceeds to the church. When the church had a need, the Holy Spirit would stir somebody and they would sell something to meet that need. Well, in the context of this generous sharing that Luke is talking about, he gives us a specific example of what this looked like or how it worked. And it was the example of the generosity of a guy by the name of Barnabas. We read in verse 36 and 37 about this guy. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Luke introduces us to Joseph, but most, most everybody knew him by the nickname that the apostles had given him, which was Barnabas. That means son of encouragement, because he was always encouraging people. He was always lifting them up and helping them see where God could work in their lives. He was always encouraging them, so much so that it became his nickname. Barnabas was a generous giver as well. And he illustrated the very thing that Luke was trying to describe here as he describes the early church. Barnabas voluntarily sold a field that he owned, and then he donated the money to the church in order to meet the needs of people who were, you know, not making it. And Barnabas not only was generous, but he has this very important ministry in the church. He's mentioned 25 times in the book of Acts. He's also mentioned five additional times in the epistles. And most of the time when he is mentioned, he's encouraging someone. In fact, it was Barnabas who encouraged the Apostle Paul in the early service to the Lord of Paul's ministry. Barnabas, Barnabas was an encourager. And he was encouraging those in need through his generosity. Barnabas' generosity made it possible for the church to bless those who were struggling Listen to what Jesus said about this kind of generosity, Barnabas' kind of generosity. He says in Luke 6.38, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says, when you're generous, you're going to be blessed. When you... When you give, you're going to be blessed. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you give 100 bucks over here, somewhere down the line, you're going to get $100 back or even more. That's not what I'm suggesting. Certainly, that can happen, but that's not the point of what Jesus is talking about, nor was this the motivation that Barnabas had. The truth is, this is not an investment strategy for manipulating God. Like, God, I made that contribution. Now you owe me, and I'm looking forward to it. 
we're promised a blessing if we give generously, but we're not promised a jackpot. In fact, not all blessings of God have to do with money. You think about it. Some of these riches may be of the Spirit. How much is peace worth to you, or joy, or patience? Maybe it's a gift that money can't buy. How important is a loving wife, healthy kids, a good reputation, forgiveness, or a job that you love? You see, when you're generous, you'll be blessed, whether it comes materially or spiritually or emotionally or relationally or in some other way. God obviously cares more about what's going on in our hearts than what happens in our bank accounts. He's more concerned about our attitudes towards others than he is about our credit score. Giving generously changes you. It frees you up. It undermines the power that money has and possessions can have over us. It makes you more like Jesus himself. Tom and Carol were a couple who Ann and I had become friends with many years ago. They were in a class that I taught for several years, and that's how I initially really got to know them. I got to know them very well, though, during a season in Carol's life where she was battling breast cancer. It was several years after that initial cancer that we got to be friends with them, and then the second diagnosis came, and um, we walked through that with them. It was after that, though, that we went through a transition in our own lives. Ann and I were, for the first time, unemployed. I wasn't sure what the next season of my life was going to look like. Well, Tom came over to our house to help me with our computer one afternoon while I was going through this season. Tom's an engineer. He works in computers, and he's one of those people who knows pretty much everything there is to know about computers. In fact, Ann and I had tried to fix the problem with our computer for hours, and Tom was there just a few minutes and said, here's, here's the problem, and he fixed it. And before he left, though, he handed me an envelope which had a check in it for $1,000. And he said that as long as we were in this transition, he and Carol were going to walk with us, and they'd send an envelope just like this one every month. I told him that wasn't necessary But Tom's an engineer. He doesn't think like normal people. (laughs) And he said, that's just the way it's going to be. He said that they wanted to bless us, and then he left. And we were just floored by it. And over the next several months, every month, another envelope came until I found myself working at Northeast. Tom and Carol helped us to get through what was a really difficult season And we are forever grateful for their generosity. Generosity can make a significant impact in the lives of others. It made a significant impact in our lives. But generosity isn't always the same. There are different kinds of generosity, or if you will, different levels of it. Let me me explain what I'm talking about. The first level of generosity is what we call spontaneous generosity. And there's nothing wrong with being a spontaneously generous person. You see, when you see a need, if you're this kind of person, you see a need, immediately you want to pounce on it and fix it, right? You're in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, and you look in the rear view, and suddenly you become 
fixated on this guy in the car behind you. He's just having an absolutely terrible day. I mean, you can just tell by his disposition. And so as you get up to the, you get up to the window, you pay for yours and his breakfast. And he'd drive away knowing that as bad as his day may be, at least for a moment, it's brightened up because, you know, you spontaneously, you know, was generous. Or maybe you find out about somebody in your neighborhood who's having transportation issues and you loan them the use of your minivan for a week. Both of these are good impulses. However, if spontaneous giving is the only exercise of generosity that you have in your life, it limits the impact that you can have in people's lives. It also limits the impact of God's blessing that you can receive in your life. This first level of generosity is not a deliberate kind of lifestyle commitment. Only it's more like a reaction and oftentimes an emotional reaction at that. Compassion for the guy in the drive through or guilt over the fact that you have this extra car in your garage. Again, not bad things but simply not enough to cultivate a consistent, generous lifestyle. The goal is to transform spontaneous generosity into the next level of generosity, which is called strategic generosity. Strategic generosity, strategic givers plan ahead so that they can be generous. They're intentional about this. They think things through with the end result of them being generous in some way. Isaiah 32, verse 8, describes this kind of giving. Isaiah says, But generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Strategic givers actually contemplate questions like, How can I be more generous? Or how can I maximize this blessing so that I can be more of a blessing to more people? And there's a key characteristic that we find in strategic generosity. People who are strategic givers. And that is that they're often also tithers. They understand the biblical principle. I will give God my first and my best and he'll bless the rest. I'll give him this portion of my resources and then this will be more than enough for what I need. They acknowledge that the first part of everything they earn belongs to God. And they're only returning it back to him through his church because it's already his. Strategic generosity realizes this. Generosity is not something we do. Generosity is who we are. Generosity is not something we do. It's not an exercise. It's who we are. It's part of our DNA. True to God's promise, when we commit to giving consistently, we'll grow closer to him. And we'll see his purposes through the eyes that he sees them. Well, the third level of generosity is the high-def kind of IMAX experience of generosity. This is a full-on generosity, and it's called sacrificial generosity. These are people who don't just believe that the things of this world don't really matter that much. They completely live their lives that way. They hold everything loosely in their life. They actually see possessions as mere tools that God provides for us to advance his kingdom. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. In 2012, in September of that year, we had a special offering that we took that that September. It was called 21 Days of Sacrifice. And the goal was to pay $125,000 against our debt that was uh, 
that we wanted to bring down. So we ask our staff and our elders and our deacons and some other key leaders in the church if they would make lead gifts, kind of prime the pump a little bit. Some of you may remember this. In the course of that, there was some significant money that was given before we ever took the offering. But in the, in the context of that, and most people didn't know this, and somebody just told me this kind of in passing, but they said there was one family that gave a $50,000 contribution, $50,000, just to make a debt payment. Talk about encouraging I was really encouraged, but it was an encouragement to the whole church, to the entire body. That's an example of sacrificial generosity. It came out of the blue. It didn't make any sense. I mean, it was just, it was kind of crazy extravagant if you think about it. Sacrificial giving doesn't mean that you toss everything that you own to the wind and have nothing. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, most of the people I know who are sacrificially generous, most of them, are extremely wealthy as well. They have so much, and they know they're merely stewards of what God has given to them, this wealth, these resources. And they get incredible joy by sharing it with others. They share it spontaneously. They share it strategically. And they share it sacrificially. They love and they trust God so much that they have no problem with letting go of what he's temporarily given them to take care of. Now, I want to pause, hit the pause button just for a minute here, and I want to make sure that we're 100% clear. I am not talking about you giving as much of your money to this church as you possibly can. I don't think that that's God's plan. I don't think that's part of his, you know, stewardship economy. In fact, I would tell you, don't do that. Some of you might think, you have lost your mind. (laughs) Hey, talk to Ann, 34 years. She'd probably agree with you, right? What I would encourage you to do is give 10%. At at a minimum, to the church, that's what we call a tithe. Support Northeast. Water where you're planted. Help this church to grow. And you gradually, as you increase the percentage that you want to give out of generosity beyond 10%, look beyond Northeast for other places that you can help grow. Maybe meaningful ministries or missionaries that you believe in what they're doing to advance the kingdom of God, or opportunities in your neighborhood, or your kid's school, or causes that you feel passionately about that will advance God's kingdom. Leverage the resources that you have in order to change eternity. And learn how to save and earn even more resources so you can give that much more. It's strange to believe that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Because that's counter to the culture that we live in. But it's almost, it's also almost the most life-giving, eye-opening truth about money that we can ever learn. And here's the, here's the interesting thing about it. Science actually affirms it. Just recently, there was a study done by researchers in the, at the University of Zurich where they found a neural link between generosity and happiness. These scientists conducted this experiment using MRIs to understand how small acts of generosity could illuminate certain areas of the brain that relate to happiness. 
The scientists saw a relationship between generosity and happiness, noticing, and I quote, a warm glow in the brain as a result of completing acts of kindness, unquote. When people were selfless and generous toward others, their happiness levels increased. And it didn't matter how great someone's act of generosity was. It only mattered that they were being generous in some way towards another person. God has created us in such a way that our disposition improves. We become happier when we're generous. It's fact. Science says it. Not me. Science. I'm just saying, okay? It's counterintuitive. Being selfish doesn't increase our personal happiness, but being generous does. So do whatever you have to do to be generous. God will bless you, you'll be happier, and you can be a blessing in the process. Well, as we button up this message, how do we actually re-gift generosity? What does that look like? Let me give you some examples. I know, I know that you're far more creative, I'm sure most of you are, than I am. But let me give you a couple of examples. Anonymously, leave a couple bags of groceries on the front porch of someone you know who needs a blessing. Just ring the doorbell and run away. Hide somewhere, watch it. They'll think you're a little creepy if they see you. But it's really awesome. It's really awesome when you see what joy that brings to someone. Or or maybe next time you go out to eat, maybe it's even today, just pool the resources of everybody there. Once the bill is paid, say, hey, let's, let's leave a crazy tip, kind of a in crazy generous kind of tip for our server, even if they were terrible, okay? It's Christmas, right? And watch them. Just, just leave it, put it in the little black thing, you know, you fold over with your receipt and everything, and when you walk away, just, just wait and watch them. You blow their mind. Or maybe, just maybe, you want to do something like that for this church. What would, you, what would it be like if you made an end-of-the-year gift, something that was beyond what you normally would do, just a crazy kind of generous gift, so that we could maybe do some ministry that we, we just can't afford to do right now. It's on the, it's on the back shelf because there's just no resources for it. Or maybe you're a student, and as a student, I want to challenge you to consider getting one of those 10 for 10 books. We ask the adults to do this, but I want to challenge you to get one of those where you pay 10 bucks a month for 10 months, and you're a couple months behind, but you can get caught up pretty easily. And that $10 a month is going to go to help make it possible so that there's a student who can't go to the Christ in Youth Conference this summer, but because of your investment, it's going to make it possible. And then when you get there this summer, you can look around and you can see who are the new guys? Who are the new gals? Is you had something to do with them being there. And what if they changed their life as a result of that? They give it to Jesus. You helped fuel their salvation. Now, Jesus did all the hard work, but you helped set them up. Think about that. Or maybe some of you go, I, I'm not one of those rich people you're talking about. I don't have a lot of resources. But you can be, you can be sacrificially generous without having a lot to give. Maybe what you do is you buy a coffee or a soda for a coworker, and you just, you just, you just set it on their desk and, and they say, what's this for? And you go, hey, I know you like uh, peppermint mocha lattes and I just wanted you to know how much I appreciate you. 
or just leave it there with a little note from an admirer or from a friend or what not admirer that's probably not a good thing these days but a, a friend you know and then you can just watch from afar you know try not to let them see you do it find a way to invest in a need where you have to sacrifice in order to meet that need you'll change somebody's life you really will and even a small coffee or soda can go so far to bring a blessing to someone. Well, let me close with this. Paul told Timothy, the, the young man that he was mentoring, discipling, he told him in a letter that he wrote to him, 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, verses 18 and 19, what happens when people are generous like this. Listen to what he said. He said, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's so clear it doesn't even need explanation. But woven through this text is the Apostle Paul saying, be generous, be generous, be generous. You have money, release it, don't hoard it. Let generosity be your trademark. Let that be what you're about. Be generous with your time, your energy, your encouragement, and yes, even your money. A guy called me on Friday, and he wanted to talk to me about a contribution somebody wanted to make to the church. But what set me up was when he said, this guy was talking to an employee in his church, and they were talking about this guy and the church where he went. And he said, that church that 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 guy goes to, it's really generous. I thought, there is no better reputation that you can have in the community than for people to know that we're generous. Let's live up to that reputation. Paul says, you know what's going to happen when you live like that? Along with being blessed and knowing that you're investing in eternity and science says you're going to be happy and all that, he says, take hold of the life that is truly life. That's what you'll do. You're going to take hold of life that is truly life. You're going to go beyond the good life and you're going to actually live the true life. So if you're re-gifting this season, why not re-gift the gift of generosity? You and I, we've experienced it. Let's re-gift it to somebody who could use it. Let's pray together. Oh God, I thank you for the blessing that people like Tom and Carol and so many others have made in my life and my family's lives and Lord I am so thankful to have the opportunity to give back and I pray that you will show me and each one of us various ways that we can re-gift the gift of generosity we've been the recipients of and I'm sure that everyone in here has a story that says hey so and so did this for me and some of them are great some of them are small but they were all impactful and God we know that you work in that way so help us to re-gift this gift. You set the standard for this. Jesus came, died on the cross, giving his life for us. The ultimate act of generosity. Help us, God, to be people who are like that. Who live out of a heart that is generous. And God, may you change people's lives in the process. We ask this in Jesus' name.